Lord Jesus, you are the great serpent crusher. And yet in this weird, fantastic gospel that you bring to us, we are promised um, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, speaking to the church. The body of Christ shall crush the serpent because we are his body, the body of Christ. Lord, we <clears throat> have a difficult road ahead of us this morning. And so we stop to ask you for grace. We stop to ask you, Lord, for the death of um, over-caution that leads us to a, to a point of um, inactivity. Would you, would you take up your word? Holy Spirit, would you come and grant that your word and your gospel would come in power? We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. All right. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts. Uh, I just want to point out a couple of things in the book of Acts, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in the Psalm of the Month. Let me explain for a moment. I have kind of a tough um, task in front of me. There are times, there have been times, where I've come into this pulpit knowing some people are not going to love what I have to say. That's happened. Um, there's been times where I know that um, I'm, I'm coming with something that everybody's going to love, and those are the great days, right? So today's like today. I have to convince some of you uh, in, in your mind, but more importantly, I have to endeavor to get you to affirm what God's Word affirms uh, and get you to treasure it when it's hard to treasure um, to get you to, one of my favorite teachers has said that we need to come to the scriptures as believers. We need to come to the scriptures willing to do the hard work of exposition of like trying to figure out what the scriptures say. That's hard work and it takes time. And so we need to have that. Like what does God's word require? What does it say? What are we to believe? We're to come to work to try and figure out. But we come with the conviction that when we know what it says, we shall not have a problem with it. Does that make sense to you? When, God, when we know that this is what God's word teaches, we say yes. Yes and amen. If you want me to love that, I will love that. If you want me to hate that, I will hate that. Okay? That's what we're after today. So the title of today's sermon is something to the effect of wonderful worm food. All right? You guys read... Herod, who we watched last week, killed James without cause. And then he, when he saw, remember, he had his, uh, had his ear to the wind of the, the emotions of the crowd. When he saw that it pleased the Jews to kill Herod, he arrests Peter to do the same thing. And God says, no, you're not going to kill Peter. So Peter gets rescued. And then we see what God does with this great tyrant named Herod. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. It doesn't say why, it just says that he was angry. And they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So Herod is angry with Tyre and Sidon. They depend upon him for food. And so what does he do? He puts the, the tax in. He's going to take tax like thumbtacks, like the pain. He's going to revoke their food. So that he can, he can lay siege to them through starvation. And so they come with one accord and they come with flattery. Because they need food, their wives, their children are, are starving. And so on appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Uh, Josephus talks about this, not this Josephus Kelly, but the real Josephus or the original Josephus. And he talks about how uh, on this day... He tells the story exactly, almost exactly the way that Luke tells it, just with greater detail. He said that he came in great pomp and circumstance, and he wore this silver armor, and he positioned himself just so, so that when the sun came up, it blinded the audience, reflecting off of his armor. And so he just shows in all this glory and sits upon his royal throne, and he starts to speak. Um, it says that he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. They were flattering him. We, 
We actually don't love this guy. We just want the food and we're willing to play up to his ego to get it from him. Now, Josephus tells us that while this is going on, instead of doing what every other good, decent person in the scripture, excuse me, not every other, that implies that he's good and decent. Every good and decent person in the scripture, when they get confused with maybe deserving some sort of honor or worship, they stop, they point to God, they say, give glory to God alone. Herod does not. And Josephus tells us that he looked up and there was a cord above him and perched over him was an owl, a bird. And it didn't poop on him, which is what we would all think. They interpreted it, interpreted it as an ill omen. And Josephus says that immediately he was struck with this great abdominal pain and it took him five days of gross suffering to die. Luke says... The voice of a God and not of a man, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Pop quiz. Can God strike a man dead because he's refusing to give God the glory? Say yes. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And can God do it any old way? Does God under the same parameters that we are when we execute a violent criminal and we say, well, we've got to make sure that there's no cruel and unusual punishment. Is God under that burden? No, he is not. Let me ask you something. Door number one, lethal injection. Door number two, eaten from the inside out by worms. Which are you going to take? Lethal injection, please. God strikes this man dead. Now, here's the question. And it's, it's kind of what our Psalm of the Month is driving at, and it's what I want to, uh, to dig in with you. What should you, O oh Christian, do? How should you respond to that? Herod, the tyrant who has just killed one of our leaders and tried to kill another, God has struck him down with worms. By the way, what's the worst thing that Herod did? Was it to kill James? Was it an attempt on Peter's life? What's the worst thing? Did God kill him for killing James? No, he did not. Did he kill him for trying to come after Peter? No, he did not. What's the worst thing he did? He robbed glory from God. He did what Satan did in the very beginning. I will be like him whom nobody is like. Nobody is like that God. And Herod said, I can be like that guy. And God struck him down. So the question is, what must we do? How must we respond? And I quote, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance of God. This is Psalm 58. Would you turn back with me in Psalm 58? And I want to spend some time thinking with you on this idea of a psalm of imprecation. An imprecatory psalm where God's people with a deep sincere longing cry out for God to bring justice on the wicked. Can we do this as Jesus-loving, mercy-loving, love-loving people? Can we do it? Well, not only can we, we must. By the way, let me just say this. I, I I wanted to say this at some point. One of the most important things that we have done as a church, we've done some really important things in the last like 10, 11 years. One of the most important things um, that we have done is we've endeavored to sing the psalms. And if you put, um, if you put what normal, what is the normal song worship of the church next to the inspired song worship of God in the Word, namely the psalms, you will see a vast difference. There is a depth and a roundness to the psalms that is necessary for the church. And so how many of you when we started to sing that we would bathe our feet in the blood of the wicked, how many of you balked at that? It's a little bit easier to sing, I come to the garden alone, isn't it? But which is more important, which is more biblical? So it's important. So by the way, I would just say, uh, Kelsey, thanks for being faithful there. Um, it's one of those things that the elders wanted us to do this, like wanted us to sing the Psalms. Um, and raise your hand if you're an elder and can help us to lead and sing the psalms. No, we can't. So thank you for using your gift uh, to, to bless us there. Okay, so let me show you a declaration. This psalm is kind of uh, divvied up into some parts. You have a declaration in one and two, 
you have a description of the wicked in uh, in three through five. You have a um, you have an imprecation, like a prayer for God to to do something, a curse on the wicked, and then you have um, sort of a conclusion at the end in verse ten and eleven. So the first thing is the declaration, and he starts with a question. He says, "Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods, rulers, authorities?" Do, that's the question. Do you indeed decree what is right? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? What is the answer? No, they do not. In your heart, you devise wrongs. In your hands, deal out violence on the earth. Okay? Um, we're watching this go on in our day. And so I would just, I want to remind us, a lot of Christians have a hard time singing imprecatory psalms, feeling loving imprecatory psalms. And part of it is because we live in a world with our eyes closed. We live in a world packed full of evil with our eyes completely closed. Uh, We were listening to an interview. uh, Some of you guys have tracked with um, Pastor John MacArthur in California, who has uh, very uh, boldly and faithfully um, refused to comply with the rules that have come down in, in California, uh, the COVID, you know, sort of um, shutting those things, uh, shutting everything down. And he, we, we heard an interview with him um, that said, uh, it was on uh, a news agency, and they asked him, hey, what are you going to do this Sunday? It's illegal for you guys to go in. What are you going to do? And he said, oh, we're going to worship God. We are going to worship God. And he said, let me just give you a statistic. One one hundredth of one percent of Californians have COVID virus, and yet it is illegal for us to go and worship the risen Christ. Okay, let me, I made our family hear that three times. One one hundredth of one percent of Californians have COVID, and you can't go to church. It's illegal. Okay. Meanwhile, you can go slaughter your young. That's totally fine. You can go to the pot shops. You can go get drunk. You can go do any other thing, but to go and worship Christ is off the table. It's off the table. So David says, do you indeed decree what is right, you leaders? Is that just? It's the picture of a balanced scale. Is everything shut down evenly? No, it is not. No, it is not. It it is partisan crowd control. You can go out, rape, pillage, murder, burn buildings down but you can't go and worship Christ. That's illegal. This is totally fine. This is totally fine. There's a problem there. Um, Now, I went to a conference. This is years ago before I came here. I was forced to go. And um, the conference was, it's called the C3 Conference, the Creative Church Conference. Um, The guy who, the pastor who um, put this conference on, just to give you a taste of what I had to sit through, He's in this like multi-million dollar, you know, state-of-the-art facility. And he said, hey guys, like don't, whatever you do, don't put your offering box at the back in a corner because that's lame. He said, what you got to do is you show up, you kind of welcome everybody, pray, and then you pass the plates. And then while you're in service, you have your men count the money. And if it ain't good enough, pass them again. Okay, that's that's the sort of stage that we're on, right? Well, Several heretics, you know, we had to sit through several heretics preaching there. And one um, lady was preaching and she made this statement. She was trying to talk to us about the lost and to get us to be compassionate about the lost, which, by the way, we should be compassionate about the lost. Okay, for sure. But what she was describing was she said, look, when you think about someone who's outside of Christ, you need to just think about a sheep and they're just lost. They're just lost, wandering sheep. That's all they are. You don't need to be angry at them. You don't need to be afraid of them. They're just lost. They're good people, otherwise good people, who have gone mildly astray. And David says, newsflash, that's not what's going on. There is bold-faced rebellion against the Lord and His Christ. Are there some people who have made sort of, you know, wrong place, wrong time, bad decision? Yes. But there are also full-scale schemers in rebellion against God. Listen, no, you don't judge uprightly. In your hearts, you devise wrong. You are planning evil. Not just happening to fall in it. You are intentionally planning um, uh, wrong. And your hands deal out violence on the earth. Newsflash. 
There are bloodthirsty rulers in our day, in our country, killing millions as we speak. Right now, people are dealing out violence on the earth. Uh, this week, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away off the Supreme Court. Just as an um, important thing here. Prior to President Trump becoming president, you had, it was five to four majority conservative, uh, liberal versus conservative on the Supreme Court. So as long as that stays the case, we will never overturn the evil that is Roe versus Wade that's, that's sanctioned millions of innocent Americans being slaughtered in the womb, okay? So President, uh, President Trump has appointed two conservative judges. One of them replaced a liberal. So like, we lost a conservative, we replaced a conservative. The liberal said, no problem there. You can do that all day long and we won't fight you. When a liberal went off and Trump said, I'm gonna put a conservative in that, which would go from, five, you see the, see the switch, the power switch? It's not too awfully complicated, so I can do this math. They said, absolutely not. Go get his junior high yearbook and let's make him answer for these things, this awful man. Well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. And everybody's celebrating. Everybody's celebrating her life and her legacy. She was appointed by President Clinton. Let me, uh, let me quote her. Just give you, two, give you her in her own words when she was confirmed at her Senate confirmation hearing. She said... This, uh, this Supreme Court confirmation hearing, uh, she said about it, that it gave her the unprecedented step of strongly endorsing abortion rights, a defining characteristic of her life. This gives me the opportunity to finally do what I've always wanted to do, endorse abortion rights. It is essential to a woman's equality, to watch this language, Essential to a woman's equality with man that she be the decision maker. Okay? Are you after equality or are you after control? Equality. Uh, equality with man that she may be the decision maker and that her choice must be controlling. If you impose restraints on that uh, and impede her choice, you are disadvantaging her because of her sex disadvantaging the woman or the child that we are going to murder. What are we going to do here? Listen. Oh, gods of the earth, do you indeed decree what is right, you gods, lords, rulers in the earth? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? Yes or no? The answer is no. The answer is no. No. Your hearts devise. You plan evil. Your hearts deal out violence on the earth. Now, let, let him, let David describe. So he asks that question. Is this going on? Can we expect a just scale from our rulers? He says no. And then he goes on to describe them. Listen to this. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter, okay? So let me uh, explain a little, bit, a little bit about this. So all people are dangerous. When you look at the kids in this congregation, Josephus, Josh, you got Eli, you got Lily, Lila, you got Lucy, you got Gubertronic there, Judah, you got Ina, you got Grace, right? Look, look at the little kids in our church. I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss some, but like think about our little kids. Are they dangerous? You better believe they're dangerous. My favorite pastor said, you, you train up a child the way you train a Bengal tiger. You get them while they're young before they're big enough to eat you because at some point, they're going to be big enough to consume you. And if you don't teach them to obey their parents and to respect the law, you're going to be killed. It's going to go really, really bad for you. So you have all of these dangerous things that God says, go be fruitful and multiply. We do that, and all of a sudden we give birth to this stick of dynamite. <laughs> and so what do we do? We teach them not, not to be dangerous. We can't do that. Listen, if you're, if you're an image bearer of God, you're very dangerous, and you can't escape that. 
the, the thing that we endeavor to do is to teach them to, um, to, list, to have their ear trained to the word of God, to the lordship of Christ, okay? So that though they are dangerous, they don't do much harm and, except to people doing harm. They can do harm to people doing harm. We don't want them to do harm to innocents, okay? David describes these guys very differently. They have venom like the venom of serpent, but like a deaf adder that stops its ear. Who is stopping the, the ear of the adder? Who's, who's putting mud in the ears? Is it somebody else? No, it's them. They're very dangerous, and they're closing off their ears to, um, to that which would make them less dangerous. Okay, So they're shutting off their ears from hearing the law of God. Um, we have a guy running for president. Um, guy Smiley, right? He's just this this beautiful uh, this beautiful old grinning man, and he looks so nice compared to um, if you pull up a pull up a picture sometime and put uh, put together Trump and Biden, and just without trying without knowing anybody, look at him and say, who would you guess is the nicer guy? Right? Most of the pictures that the media takes of President Trump, he's like yelling at somebody or shooting somebody in the bird or whatever, and everything of Biden is like. You know, he's just, I can't smile because my teeth are, uh, you know, not like his. This beautiful, really nice guy. But listen to his gruesome plans. I just want you to, I want you to feel this. It's very important that you feel the type of evil that we're up against before we get to the imprecation. Super nice looking guy. And here's what he says. Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. It is what it is. And we must fight any and all attempts to overturn it. As president, I will codify Roe into law and ensure that this choice, choice to do what? That this choice remains between a woman and her doctor. And he does it with a damned smile on his face. Pretending to be kind, pretending to be loving, pretending to be a great leader, he is planning to protect a woman's right to commit murder in our land. In our land. Okay? And by the way, commit murder at disproportionately um, uh, black people, like aimed at the black community. Okay? disproportionately black, nearly 20 million to date black people in our country have been executed under this liberal feminist ideology, okay? Do you know that in 1960, before Roe v. Wade happened, we had about 18,000, excuse me, 18 million black people as black Americans. Do you know that 18 million black Americans have been executed under Roe versus Wade? legalized abortion, legally murdered in our land. It is aimed at keeping them down. Can I read you something um, about Planned Parenthood and the, and the moral evil and some of the ideology that underpins it? I want to I talk, this is, this is quoting, uh, this is quoting, her name is Margaret Sanger. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood. And she said this, uh, these quotes, morality about abortion and then uh, legality. Listen to her language. The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. The most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. Do you know what she defines as a large family? Anything over one. Anything over one. We don't want the word to get out. This is her quotes. We don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And Planned Parenthood is the darling of the left that always panders to black Americans. Listen to this. As an advocate of birth control, I wish to take advantage of the present opportunity to point out the unbalance. Listen to this language. I want to point out the unbalance between the birth rate of unfit and fit people. There is an imbalance of the birth rate of what she deems as fit and unfit. Do you want to guess who she deems as fit people? White guys. Do you want to bet? You want to, you want to guess what she deems as unfit people? Black people. And she says in her day, there is a disproportionate birth rate. Blacks are outbreeding us. 
Now watch what she says. Watch what she says. Um, she says, admittedly, the greatest uh, present menace to civilization can never be rectified by the inauguration of cradle competition between these two classes. So she says, what I don't want to do is to urge the white community to have more babies because a large family is any baby over any family over one. So what does she want to do? We got an we got an un, we got unfit people outbreeding us. What do we do? We plan to get them to think that they're doing right by executing their own young and thereby we will level out the birth rate. She says the most serious evil of our times is that uh, is that of encouraging the bringing into the world of large families. The most immoral practice of the day is breeding too many children. The most urgent problem is today is how to limit and discourage the over-fertility of the mentality and physical of the mentally and physical defective. Discourage the over-futility. Meanwhile, God has said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Listen to what she wants to do legally. I'm going to read a few more of these because I want you to sit in this. A marriage license. Listen to her, the, leg, the, the legalese. A marriage license. You don't have the right to procreate. God did not give you that right. It is not inalienable. You come to the state and ask for permission and we will give you a license. That's her, that's her plan. A marriage license shall in itself give a husband and a wife only the right to a common household and not the right to parenthood. You can get married. You can't have babies unless we say so. That's a separate license. No woman shall have the legal right to bear children. Wait, I thought it was free choice, right? Can a woman choose for her own body? No, she cannot. Do you indeed judge what is right? Are you acting justly? We want a woman to choose and we want another freedom, but not the freedom to procreate, just the freedom to remain sterile and to practice this horrific thing. No man shall have the right to become a father without a permit. Permits for parenthood shall be issued upon application by city, country, state authorities to married couples, provided that they are financially able to support the expected child, providing that they have qualifications needed for proper rearing of the child, providing they have no transmissible diseases, and providing, on the woman's part, no medical indication that maternity is likely to result in death or permanent injury to health. No permit for parenthood shall be valid for more than one birth. Let me read this one last one. These two words, birth control. It's her language, not mine. These two words, birth control control some of our whole philosophy brothers and sisters this is a worldview some of our whole philosophy it means the release and cultivation of the better elements in our society white people not black people the better elements in our society and the gradual suppression elimination and eventual extinction of defective stock. The human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers and the American civilization. Do you want to know what she meant by human weeds? She meant black Americans. And they are being exterminated at disproportionate rates. And we got a guy running for president saying, if you elect me as president with a great, big, winning smile on his face, I will codify it into law because what our Supreme Court has done is not enough. It's not enough. Wow. Um, lest we think that it's only the irreligious. Uh, we read... John 18. Can I read this to you? John 18. Uh, this is the Jewish leaders as they are endeavoring to crucify what they know to be an innocent man. They know he is innocent. And it says this. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. 
as they endeavor to crucify, they are after a brutal, torturous death of who they know to be an innocent man, but they also have their eyes on being able to eat the Passover feast tomorrow. And so we're definitely not going to go into a Gentile's house because that would be defiling. Amazing. Amazing. Listen to me. These are not well-meaning but mistaken people. They're not little sheep, dear little ones that have gone astray. They are rebels against God, servants of Satan, and they are bathed in the blood of millions. Listen to me. We pray with utmost sincerity that God would either convert them or kill them. Not that we would. We're going to God who is just. We're going to God who knows all things. And we are saying, God, save them by the blood of Jesus or crush them. Unless you think that is overly harsh. Let me let David say the same thing. Can we really pray for the death of the wicked? Listen in verse six. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. I thought, um, I've misunderstood this the whole time. This is not overly complicated. He's praying about the arrows of the wicked when they are shooting at the innocent. Let their arrows be blunted. Let them fall without effect, is the idea. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Um, the other day we were driving and there was a lane open on the right side. It was a several lane highway. Lane open on the right side. I'm not driving super aggressive, I promise. I do drive aggressive sometimes. Y'all can judge me. But this was not one of those times. I ease over. Just didn't want to drive 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. Ease over into this lane. Slowly start to pass. I get about even. And I realize this is not a lane that continues. So I'm not upset or anything. I'm not like trying to whip around. I just lightly apply the brake, let this guy go ahead. Well, the guy I was even with rolls his windows down and hangs out of his window, shoots me the bird and starts yelling at me. And I uh, put on my blinker and I got in behind him and I told Gracie, I was like, I think he's upset at something. I don't know what he's upset at. I didn't understand his speech, okay? But I got the general idea. It's as though David gets spitting mad right here. And so there's some of the things that he says that are not obvious what is meant. But you get the the gist. The big picture idea is he wants God to deal with these wicked men who are killing others. And he wants him to deal with them now. Um. Let them uh, break their teeth in their mouth, tear out their fangs. Let them vanish like water that runs away. In the, uh, in the several years that we lived in the parsonage here, there were uh, probably two or three times where we got, after a really dry season, we got monsoon type of rain. And I've got video evidence of the kids kayaking in the front yard, right, while it's just dumping. And when you look at that, you say, we're never going to be dry again. This is Noah's flood redone. And then you wake up in the morning, like, so they're kayaking in the yard. Lila's down in the ditch at the spillway, grabbing catfish with her bare hands, right? And um, it feels like it's never going to be dry again. And you wake up in the morning, and it's totally fine. It's all, it's all gone. Now, the amazing faith that is like that, when he says, let them vanish like water that runs away. When it looks like the world is flooding, when it looks like we are being overrun and we are being overrun by wicked men and women who are judging unjustly, who are not protecting the innocent, who are not honoring the Lordship of Christ, who are rebelling against God, rebelling against his word. And we feel like we're overrun. And it is by faith, brothers and sisters, that we pray, Lord, let this be an afterthought. Let this go away. Um, and there, are, there, there is coming a time where all of these things will disappear and they will disappear uh, quickly. Water running away. Uh, Babylon was conquered in a day without a, ba- without a battle. Um, so he says... Break their teeth. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Um, 
let the, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Uh, these are things we get the big picture. Uh, we get the big picture, and the idea is he wants them wiped. He wants them wiped away, smudged away, out of human memory. Um, it's been a couple years ago. Some people went undercover into abortion clinics to expose the fact that people are infants are being slaughtered, and then body parts are being sold for cash. Right, and so there's a there's um, my favorite. Uh, thinkers pointed this out that you know Grimm's fairy tales and how unsettling they are and it's witches like wanting to cook children and so they they're, they put them in a pie and they do all these things and you're just like man that's why are we reading this to our children this is kind of disturbing and in the overwhelming comedy of God as he exposes this absolute evil as it's going on in our day you have this plump Planned Parenthood nurse who's got the remains of a child. And do you know where she puts him to discover what kind of parts they can sell? She puts him in a pie plate and takes with her scalpel and spreads him around. And with these immortal, joyful words, she says, Oh, look, another boy. Let me tell you something, Christian. If you have a hard time Listen to me. If you have a hard time praying for the salvation of that woman, we've got a problem. If you have a hard time praying that God would convert her, we've got a problem. But if you have a hard time praying that God would either stop her or wipe her away, we have a problem. The idea is you. we are commanded to love God. We are commanded to love our neighbor. And if we have a hard time doing either of those things, praying for repentance and salvation and forgiveness, God, don't treat that woman like she deserves to be treated. Hide her in your son from your wrath, oh God. If we can't pray that, we got a problem. But if we can't pray, God, do something about that. Stop them and do whatever you have to do. we got a problem, okay? Think about this. Years ago, when they toppled the statues of Saddam, we, we saw it on the, on the news, right? And all these people were throwing ropes, and they're pulling him over, and he's falling. Um, three options to see that and to respond. You can love that, and you can be completely indifferent, or you can hate it. Hate that it's being toppled. Let me ask you, who loves that the statue is being toppled? Who looks on and says, yes, raises their voice in triumph? It's those who not are sort of kind of opposed to Saddam Hussein. The people rejoicing at his statue falling, his image falling, are people who loathe Saddam Hussein. People who have suffered under his regime. Those are the people that raise their voice in wild triumph and say, yes, justice. People who are indifferent, we don't know what he's done. We, we're just... You know, we got our face in an iPhone and we don't know history and we don't know the atrocities. People who hate that his statue is being pulled over are people who love him. What does it say of you and I when we watch the one place where we can see the image of God being torn down? What does it say about us if we are indifferent or celebratory? What does it say about us if, like Biden, we're a professing Catholic? We profess to be hidden by the blood of Christ, forgiven of all of our sin. And yet, knowingly, knowing God's word, knowing the truth, we're going to work to protect a woman's right to execute their young. What does this say about us? Okay, What does it say about us if we cannot, if we cannot pray for the forgiveness or if we cannot pray for the judgment coming? Part of the reason we Christians have such a hard time singing the Psalms with gusto is that we are so conveniently separated from the brutalities of this world. Listen to me. I'm sorry. Uh, I told Gracie, like I, I, studying for this sermon, just kind of trying to remind myself of some of the atrocities that have been uh, that have been perpetrated by man against man, by God against man. Um, it made me literally sick in my stomach. And I wish that I hadn't done that. 
And I wish that I don't have to talk about these things from the pulpit. But listen to me. They are happening. And if, if we're going to sing the Psalms with gusto, we have to have our eyes on what kind of enemy is coming our way. So listen to me. Stop listening to positive, encouraging Caleb. And start listening to your Psalms that are full of enemies. And it's full of bloodshed. It's full of reality in a fallen world. And it's also full of mercy and grace and forgiveness and triumph. Listen to me. The end of every wicked ruler is that they will repent and know the mercy of Christ. Did you listen to me there? The end of every wicked ruler is that they will repent and know the mercy of Christ or they will suffer eternally under the just wrath of God and our holy God will ensure that the smoke of their torment will rise forever. And it is those two options and no other. There is no middle ground. And so we pray to those two ends. God, save them or do what you will, but don't let them continue. So what is our response, our ultimate response, when we see God taking a tyrant, taking somebody that's, whose hands are covered in blood, and we see the vengeance of our God? This is the response. Look in verse 10. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. Listen, we will rejoice when we see the vengeance. This is one of the reasons that we do not ever practice vengeance. There is never a time in the church where we get the freedom to say, I'm going to go take out vengeance now. There's never a time. We are commanded, leave room for the wrath of God. Why? Because God says, vengeance is mine. And then what does he promise? I will repay. I will repay. That is why we don't, we don't take. That is divine prerogative alone. So I believe that Christians can take up arms in defense I believe some of those things that, that are, uh, you know, a more pacifistic Christian might not uh, agree with. I believe those things. I believe we can defend ourselves. I believe in rights. I believe these things. I don't believe there's ever room for human vengeance where we say, I'm mad at that guy. I'm going after him. Because God says, no, that's my job. Do not take my job. Don't step on my job. We don't practice personal vengeance because it belongs exclusively to God. And we, but we must court the type of soul that will rejoice at mercy and will rejoice at wrath. Let me say that again. We must court the, the type of the state of our soul that would freely rejoice at the mercy of God and freely rejoice at the wrath of God. Looking at all of these young ladies over here leading us in the singing of um, of our battle hymns. And I'm reminded of, of Miriam and of the women of Israel taking up on the shores when there are dead bodies floating in the waves. And the first thing they do is reach for their tambourine. That's astounding. When you rejoice at mercy and wrath, you are rejoicing at the cross of Jesus Christ where love and wrath were married and the two became one. So, bathe your feet in the blood of the wicked. Do I have to? Yes. Now, there's an essential quality in the character of God, okay? An, an essential, something that's essential to himself and also um, uh, an essential quality to the, to the way in which he governs and leads and rules. There's something essential in the character and the conduct of God that is aimed at one particular um, to ensure two particular confessions of all mankind, and we're giving it right here. At the end of the universe, here's what all mankind will say in verse 11. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. There are times, brothers and sisters, if you're anything like Asaph, you can check out Psalm 73, you can check out Job. There are times where 
you pursue righteousness and suffering comes and you say, what's the point? Is there any reward for loving God? Is there any reward for serving Christ? That's why we're told, um, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For, your, uh, for in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Sometimes the Christian life feels like vanity. But there's coming a day where all mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. And the second conviction, surely, you should circle those two things. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Never forget that. Never forget that there is a reward for the righteous. And never forget this. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. There is a God who sees and he will bring it back. Nobody gets away. Either Christ suffers wrath on your behalf or you suffer the wrath of God eternally for yourself. One of the most interesting words in this psalm is the masculine singular wicked in verse 10. Look at verse 10 for a moment. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. That's masculine singular. Meaning we're not talking about... Well, let me just read our devotion. To develop the meaning, let me render it a a different way. The righteous man will bathe his feet in the blood of that particular wicked man. So not, not when God pours out his global wrath on all the wicked, as in Revelation 14, 20. Quote, And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as the horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. That's 183 miles for those of you who are counting, which means blood three foot deep from here to the Gulf Coast of Texas. Such is the wrath of God that is coming someday. I don't think the psalmist has that day in mind. Like we're going to be swimming with gladness there. I think there is at least a hint that the righteous, right? In the beginning, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. That guy will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. I think there's at least a hint that the righteous who rejoice when they see the vengeance have already had a bloodbath and were made righteous by it. Let me explain. How many of you, the first time we sang... The righteous will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. How many of you said, yeah, woo? But how often have we said, are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Never forget that the only righteous person who has ever lived had his name And his name was Jesus. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. He became the idolater. He became the murderer. He became the adulterer. He became the liar. He became the luster. He became the greedy, the proud, the coward, the fornicator, the baby abandoner, the wife beater, the drug dealer, the prostitute, the rapist. He became sin for us in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This table is a table of double credit where our ill deeds, one and all, were taken upon Christ, taken up by Christ, no longer to be shouldered by ourselves. And it is also where all of His perfect perfections were taken up by us, His bride, and they become actually ours by faith. Listen, brothers and sisters, we are a complicated people, a people who rejoice at wrath all the while knowing that it should have been us, a people who rejoice at mercy because we know how desperately sweet it is to have our sins forgiven. Oh, brothers and sisters, would you come to the table today confessing what must surely be confessed by all mankind? Surely there's a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. Surely. Jesus Christ is Lord and is worthy 
to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Would you come to him who was slain, that you might have a bloodbath? Would you come to him who is worthy of your worship? Would you come? You are most welcome to Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we look in radical hatred towards the evil that is going on in our day. And we also look in radical... Fellowship, But for the grace of God, so we go. And so we do pray, Lord, as we, as we have um, spent so much time dwelling upon the Lords that do not judge justly. We rightly condemn them. We rightly, Lord, pray with the psalmist that you would rip the teeth from their mouth. But we also rightly pray um, that you would... By your mercy, God, would you give them the same gift that you gave us by choosing through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, through his perfect obedience, choosing to save us, would you choose to save them also? Would you let God, would you let the world know that you have a just justice and you have a just mercy? Lord, um... As we come to this table, I pray for the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters who are like mine, that when I call out great wickedness, I do so with that still small inkling of condemnation that I've done the same things. God, for those of us who have that, would you help us to know that by your grace, Christ has taken it just like he will take it from them. And in its place, in the place of our sin, in the place of our shame, in the place of our alienation, in the place of our just deserving the wrath of God, Christ has placed his own righteousness on us. And so we, the righteous, have washed ourselves in the blood of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you take his body and would you take his blood and would you impart it to us so that we might know that you have already made us free and already pardoned us? God, grant, grant that. Would you, would you, would you take us, Lord? We ask it in your name. Amen.